Welcome to The Five Things, This Week in Social. Each week, we search every mountaintop and look in every valley for the best stories in social media so that you can stay right where you are and be ready for the week ahead. This week is a special one as we introduce one new person to the show and bid farewell to another. First, we are joined by Claire Heaps, Associate Director of Social and Influencers here at Gray. Hello, Claire. Yo, what's up? Excited to be here. Very excited to have you. I'm going to ask you a question that we asked a few weeks ago, but growing up, what was your favorite Halloween costume? I was a skeleton, probably like eight years running. You know, the Gund, G-U-N-D brand, like face paint, and they did like Halloween edition. And I feel like every person born in the 90s or who grew up in the 90s had like the same set of eight like face paint Halloween costumes from that book. So I was a skeleton almost every year. Very nice. Very cool. And this week, we bid farewell to our friend Kyla Sloan. Kyla, hello. What was your favorite Halloween costume? Hi. If I really had to think about it, I don't remember, but probably some type of princess. I was a pretty basic female child in the early 20s, early 2000s. I'm sorry. When I look back, I'm trying to visualize my pictures. I see princess. So what about you, Joey? I want to know what your favorite costume was because I don't I don't think I know. Well, here it is, friends. I'm Joey Scarillo. And once I dressed up as Quail Man from Doug, like underwear on the outside, red cape, the whole thing. It was very fun. All right, friends, here are the five things. First, Claire talks Kanye, who is looking to buy Parler, a conservative social media platform. Nothing like getting you started with an easy one, Claire. And then our second thing is Kyla asks, is mass marketing ending? As we discuss Gen Z and the evolution of subcultures. Third, Claire discusses TikTok's live stream age restrictions. It means safety for young people and new avenues for adult content. Fourth, Kyla talks rumors is TikTok getting into podcasting? We'll find out, maybe. And finally, Claire closes us out with Meta, who pushes for encryption in a new WhatsApp ad campaign. All right, friends, let's get into it. Claire, tell us about Kanye buying a new conservative social media platform. Yeah, so, I mean, that's what he's doing. Parler, I mean, we all know that he's been sort of kicked off Twitter. There's a lot going on with Twitter. There's a lot going on with him. But personal stuff about him aside, he's gone to this like very beleaguered sort of conservative right wing social media platform where I think a lot of people have for a little bit ago filtered over from Twitter and other places where they weren't able to really talk about what they wanted to talk about. He's kind of done the same as everyone else, but because he has a lot of money, instead of just going there to, you know, talk about what he wants to talk about, he's just going to buy it. So that should be interesting. Buying social platforms seems to be the thing to do these days. Kyla, question. In theory, what happens when offensive comments and just comments are made that these rich and powerful people don't agree with on their new platforms. What happens when people make comments on their new platform that they bought or the previous platform that they were kicked off of? Well, the new one, if you buy something, right, and you create this new space for you to say whatever you want because you were kicked off of a platform where you were saying whatever you wanted and the platform didn't like it, what happens when people come to your new platform and say things you don't like? Yeah, I think that it's an interesting conversation for sure because there are two things that could happen. The first is that either you're just gathering like-minded individuals who think just as you do and so the conversations will be 
kind of specific to whatever that point of view is. So it doesn't allow a lot of room for diverse input, ways of thinking. I think you lose the feeling of inclusiveness. And so it's it becomes very one dimensional is what I'm trying to say. And then the second scenario that I think about is if people are calling you out on the platform that you now own, it becomes this very dictatorship S or operating rather. Maybe you're kicking people off of the platform now and you're banning regular folks from using said platform, you know, and that that feeling of, I guess, freedom of speech, you, you lose that as well. So I'm interested to see where this goes. I think we've seen it on multiple occasions, not just with Kanye West specifically, but it's never, it never feels the most positive is what I'll say when people go and, and they, they want to control their own platform, right? I think the amazing thing about social media is it opens the avenue for people to give their own points of views and opinions. And it allows us to see things from other people's perspectives. And so if we are kind of leaning towards this new way of social where ownership is um, completely controlled by those with lots of money, it'll be a change for sure. So that's what I'll say. Yeah. If you can't get what you want, buy it. Claire, what do you think? I think, I mean, there's a lot of maybe even too much to say about this, but something I've been thinking about, I mean, social is so new that the platforms are still owned mostly by the people that created them. And that's starting to change as platforms grow and get older. And like in any business, you know, CEOs change and they hire new people and fire the old people or whatever. So when there's a platform that is no longer owned by the person who started it, whose intentions were whatever, their own personal intentions, but the whole platform is built around what they want. And that's all we know. Now these new people who have totally different intentions with the platform are coming to own them and change how the platforms work, which we haven't really seen yet. So I think that's just kind of, and I feel like I'm going to say this a lot in this podcast because I just, that's how I, this is how I feel about social as like emerging tech, emerging, you know, things in our world that exist. A lot of things are happening for the first time. So it's not even like a good or a bad. It's just like, this is a piece in the evolution of the life cycle of these things that, you know, hundred of years in the future, if the world still exists or, you know, while we're all scrounging for bugs in the climate wars, we'll look back and say this was like the first step in this like now hundred year span of things that have happened with these platforms. So I just think it's weird to think about from a macro level where it's like, oh, this is crazy. Or like, how can we say that this is bad or good? Because this is just like a new development in how these things work and they are businesses. So it's like, it's weird that these large businesses also control our entire worldviews and how we talk to everybody that we know. So sort of a wash. But that's that's what I think about it. Yeah, this is definitely an interesting one and one that I'm sure we will stay close to as we continue to create this podcast and talk about social and all the intricacies and ins and outs and wherever we are in 100 years, at least we could say we talked about it. All right, Kyla, let's talk about mass marketing. Is it ending? And what can we expect from Gen Z and the evolution of subcultures? You know, this is a really interesting one. I don't know that I can answer straight up whether or not it's ending. I will say, though, that a new study by Horizon Media has uncovered why Gen Z is no longer phased by mass marketing. And instead, they are embracing those niche subcultures that we were talking about. So it was SVP of Cultural Intelligence at Horizon Media that said, Gen Z is no longer a monolithic group. They are ever evolving, they're fluid, and they're really hard to pin down just based on their algorithms that they follow and the fact that social algorithms are 
are always changing. So in this report, I wanted to bring very specific findings here to the show that I thought were really interesting. Some of these we know and some feel a bit new, right? 64% of Gen Z consumers, they actually want personalized experiences from brands. They want that authentic, organic conversation that happens and they don't want things to feel super salesy and adsy. And so they tend to use social media for discovery rather than like a Google search, which we've talked about several times here on Five Things. But these apps more specifically include TikTok, YouTube, Discord, Telegram, and Twitch for their various interests. Um, and then lastly, which I thought was really interesting, is that diversity and inclusiveness are key. 82% of Gen Z participants said they consider themselves to have masculine and feminine qualities. And so this study really dives deep into what those subcultures are and what each of those subcultures means and, and how many of these Gen Zers would fall into those categories. But more specifically, the most popular of those subcultures were gaming, entertainment, education, fashion, and beauty. And so it's really important to note that these subcultures are seen as passion points for this generation. These just aren't things that they're waking up and, you know, choosing randomly, but they really feel strongly about these points of interest. And so I believe that brands and marketers alike will have to pivot their thinking and be okay with shifting away from mass marketing. So that means like prioritizing things or metrics like reach and follower growth, for example. And they'll begin to identify how they can really target subcultures through paid media and whatever their content strategy is. Gen Z was also reported to have an estimated $360 billion in buying power in 2021 alone. And so the motivation should be there. Brands will simply need to learn how to activate it. Which leads right into my question, right? So Claire, I've said before, there is no such thing as everyone. There is no such thing as these large groups where everybody agrees or subscribes to the same thought. What are some of the ways that marketers can be thoughtful about tapping into these subcultures within Gen Z? You got to do your research. And as a strategy person, that shouldn't be surprising for me. You really just have to do the research. And it's really important to hire people that may be part and parcel of those subgroups you're trying to reach. Hiring Gen Z people to work on your teams is really important. And that should be obvious, I think, at this point. Something, you know, Kylo, when you were talking that really sparked for me was just the use of influencers and how powerful influence is over Gen Z, as far as I can tell. And if you want that personalized recommendation, you know, that feels like it's coming from a friend, you work with your micro, macro, mega influencers, you send them product and, you know, you see what happens and they talk to their own subcultures that they understand better than we do. Yeah, it is interesting. Kyla, you work closely with influencers. I'm curious what you would think of this. You know, I totally agree with Claire in saying that influencers Influencers are, as we know it currently, our most direct line of communication to consumers, right, in the most authentic way. I think for me, when I read this report personally, what struck a chord is and again, being someone on the strategy side as well, is that we often think about how we can reach the most people as humanly possible, right? And we do that through paid advertising. We do that through influencers and even organic social sometimes. And I think for me, what felt like was the most impactful in reading this study is that these subcultures are still made up of millions of people. It's just a different strategy, right? We're, we're targeting a very specific niche versus wanting to reach whomever we can possible. And I think by leveraging creators and influencers alike, it allows us to tap into those niches and those subcultures more authentically. And I think the ROI will clearly be there because if buying power is over $300 billion for this specific generation, that's kind of why my comment around like the motivation is there. That's where that came from, because I know that they would be motivated to buy. They would be motivated to, you know, kind of pivot towards a specific brand. They just they need the motivation to do so. And I think that their passion points or how they feel about these subcultures comes to life, because if they're seeing that type of content day in, day 
out and they feel like they can relate to a brand, it just, it's a win on both sides because it's an authentic buy from said consumer. And I think that brand successfully connected with a consumer or, or a human being and they did it the right way. Yeah, it completely makes sense, right? I mean, we are all millennials on this show. And I think if we were told that we were all being advertised to in the exact same way, I think we would be a little bit discouraged and confused because we are three very different millennials and have different interests and, and needs. So it makes sense. It's about time. I'm actually surprised it took this long for this study to come out, but here it is. All right, friends, let's jump over to TikTok, whose live stream age restriction means two things, more safety for young people and new avenues for adult content. Claire, break it all down for us. What's going on over at TikTok? I mean, live streaming is kind of the wild, wild west. There's a level of control that you just can't have when you're live streaming over who's watching, you know, what's going to happen in the stream, what people are commenting, whatever. And so I think a lot of platforms that host live streams, TikTok in particular, as they grow, and I think their live streaming product or offering has sort of begun to outstrip Instagrams. I think, Kylie, you and I were talking about that on our latest project in which we did a big live stream. But essentially, they're coming up with restrictions where no one under the age of 16 can do a live stream. Mind you, and they don't mention this in the Social Media Today article, but you can't do a live stream unless you have at least a thousand followers. So that's also a major hurdle and interesting. So basically, the minimum age requirement to start a live stream will rise from 16 to 18. And also, I believe you can set your own restrictions on who watches your live stream, what age they are. Granted, you can set your age to probably be anything on TikTok. If you want to watch like adult live streams, you could just make a new TikTok and set your age to whatever that cap is. But I think it speaks to TikTok and platforms in general trying to mitigate the risks that they keep putting people in and they keep putting themselves in legally where young people are exposed to bad things or platforms start to shape how young people show themselves online or present themselves in their day to day. So there's this just constant mitigation of risk and updating of rules and restrictions, which we've seen on Facebook with their identification of, you know, content and their censorship and all that. And it gets into a lot of like legal stuff. But I think it's just a good update. It's definitely a good thing. This isn't really a bad or good thing. It's good. But what I think it also opens up is if you're allowed to restrict the age of viewers on your own live stream and the example they give in the Social Media Today article is if you're doing a comedy routine that's best for people over the age of 18, I could set that cap. But my mind immediately goes to OnlyFans. And if TikTok wanted to, they could open up that avenue for its creators. I know a lot of people on TikTok set their link tree in their bio and their creators. And another way that they monetize is through OnlyFans, whether it's purely adult content or just the fact that on OnlyFans, you can kind of sell an offering in a different way. But I think if TikTok actually felt pressure from OnlyFans in that way, they could allow adult content, I say in quotes, nudity. And that would be a big departure for the platform and something they could totally do. And, you know, I think the idea that they could split TikTok off into different sections, like completely, like the adults only section, is a very interesting idea. It is an interesting idea. It seems as if these platforms week to week are competing with each other and finding new platforms to compete with or pick up market share from. But also, I just want to just give a quick PSA that kids, we aren't suggesting that you go change your age on social platforms. It might be easy enough to do, but we don't condone that. Please be honest about your age on platforms, especially TikTok. Kyla, I'm curious, again, from an influencer standpoint, how might this change the 
way influencers operate on TikTok? How might this change their content for their audience? Honestly, I don't think it will change much. I think it's a guardrail that the platform might be wanting to put up for their own sake, similar to what Claire was saying, to kind of stay out of scrutiny. I won't necessarily say trouble, but just kind of stay out of the way because we've seen how social media has affected kids or young teens in the past couple of years. And similar to what Claire said earlier in the show, this is just all so new. And so I think we're just going to see this type of thing happen for a while, like just different trial and error tests. With influencers, the great thing about having access to like your insights and analytics are you can see exactly who majority of your audience is. You can see the age ranges of your audience. You know, you really have access into those demographics. And so if anything, they would be able to apply those age restrictions if they wanted to get more specific with who can see their content. So maybe that's something that I could see happening, but I don't think it will affect content for, you know, the best or the worst, if that makes sense. I think it's kind of like a plus up or an add-on feature, if anything. I feel like I was circling around around an idea earlier that I just couldn't figure out. And I thought of it, Kyla, when you were talking, I think what this brings up for me is creator monetization, which isn't maybe fully a thing yet on TikTok, where, you know, you can get a brand deal and be an influencer for a brand and they pay you. But I think And I said this earlier, you know, a lot of people use OnlyFans not to do like nudes or any of that stuff, but because it has a really good monetization feature where you can unlock certain things from creators with money. And you can't really do that on TikTok. So I think a lot of creators on TikTok link out to their OnlyFans to, you know, be able to monetize their offerings. And if TikTok could figure out a way to do that within their own app, it would circumvent a lot of Good to know that OnlyFans is not only for one thing. All right, let's jump into thing number four, which is rumor corner. Here we go. Kyla, tell us, is TikTok getting into podcasting? So more TikTok conversation. I love it. Well, rumor has it that TikTok is gearing up to launch a podcast app, which everyone here should be very excited about. I know I am. But this report was reported by a source by the name of Audio Means. They discovered a bot had been scrubbing their feeds, which dated back to October 11th, and tracked it back to TikTok. Now, there isn't much more to be reported, honestly, but it was also uncovered that TikTok recently registered a trademark for TikTok music, which includes the provision for podcast content. I wish listeners could honestly see my face right now because I am full of excitement. I'm smiling. Granted, this has not been confirmed by the brand itself, of course. But it's really brilliant. We've talked about the success of TikTok countless of times here on the show. And to learn that their potential plans of pivoting feels really promising. Because if you think about the content that goes viral daily, right, or the content that you're constantly seeing on your For You pages, the leading contributors are either music or some sort of catchy sound. So this, in my opinion, is what natural progression looks like. And it's also what innovation and allowing your app users or creators or whatever, it's what that natural progression looks like as well, because you're allowing them to almost inform your pivot or inform your next move versus kind of paying too close attention to what the other platforms are doing and adding on that way. So I'm excited, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you are too. Trust me, we could hear the smile in your voice. And I think our listeners were picking up on your excitement and they're probably picking up on mine and Claire's as well. You know, we've always said on this show that TikTok is as much an audio platform as it is a video platform. And we don't have a lot of information on this rumor. It is still very much a rumor. But let's 
Let's put on our creative brains for a moment. And Claire, I'm curious, what do you want to see or hear rather from a TikTok podcast app? Is it a new user experience, podcast clips, maybe audiogram integration? Is it something like YouTube video podcasts? What do you think? What's in your wildest imagination? I literally have no idea what this would look like. Um, It feels very unknown to me. Would it be within the TikTok app or would it be a separate thing that's owned by TikTok? I think personally it should be within the app itself just so it's more integrated. And I'm going to sound like a broken record, but what I really think it opens up is again, like more efficiencies and monetization for the creators that exist on TikTok and started there and want to continue their offerings there. It makes me think about the litany of young Gen Z creators who have come up with really ingenious things on the app and really don't get the credit for it, or it gets brought off the app into the rest of the world sort of without their consent or, you know, without them being brought along with it. And I think this is another way for those people to kind of continue the momentum they've gained with what they've created on TikTok, you know, and I have no idea, you know, where this is going to live, what it's going to look like. My mind goes to like radio broadcasts where you have like all the little sound bites when you talk like the meow, 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 like soundboard type thing because TikTok is so sound based. Like that's basically all it makes me think of is being able to integrate the TikTok sounds into your podcast. But I think because it's such a heavy creator platform and it's really opened up so many avenues for people who are just like smart and funny, it's just a new way for those people to flex and have some fidelity over their own creation. You're listening to TikTok in the morning. Pew, 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 pew. Kyla, what do you think? What would you want to see in a TikTok podcast app? I agree. I think that it should be integrated. So I think that it's something that should come from the app. It almost makes me think of Spotify, how you can listen to music and podcasts, whereas like, unfortunately, Apple Podcasts and Apple Music are separated. So I think that's a perfect example of how integration kind of helps with efficiencies. And then I also think that it'll be great for creators and their efficiencies, because what I often see is that creators will have to create additional content almost to market their platform on TikTok, but also on YouTube. YouTube. So like, let's say you do long form podcast video, it lives on YouTube, but you still need to make another version, a shorter version of that to market your podcast on TikTok. Now it kind of creates a more seamless approach in terms of like how you market your own content. But I'm excited. This is just really cool personally, because I think that a lot of dope sounds already come from podcasts, maybe more so like funny or inspirational, you know what I mean? But it'll give creators uh, more longevity and in how their content performs and how long it lasts just in the, the digital world or the digital footprint space. Well, if there is a TikTok podcast app, this podcast will be on it, hopefully. And now we move on to our fifth and final thing. Friends, it's been such a journey. I, we still have one more thing to go. Claire, tell us about Meta's new campaign for WhatsApp. Okay, so what happened here is essentially a cool ad campaign, but it brings up a lot of other conversations. The ad, by the way, is very cool. WhatsApp uh, is talking about its encryption. Your messages are going to be private, a la signal type apps. And they have this really cool moving video billboard in Piccadilly Circus where it's kind of like that. It's it's very much like the new BMW ad that I think is in Times Square where it like plays with the surface of the building and then it's 3D and blah, blah, blah. But essentially it's cool ad. What this means or you know what this is all about is Meta, again, trying to bump up 
or safety protocols, which is a very meta thing. That's kind of what they're all about. That's what we hear about them in the news constantly. And as they you know, acquire more and more platforms and apps, they're just going to have to keep rolling this out on their new, you know, on their new platforms. But basically, as they move to integrate all of their messaging services, so if you're on Facebook, you can send a DM to someone on Instagram and to WhatsApp and vice versa, different versions of that mix. The security and privacy of messages is kind of up for debate all over the world and on any app. No one really knows who's viewing them. And I'm not an encryption person. I'm going to end up sounding stupid when I talk about this because I'm not in uh, cybersecurity or whatever. But this move to encrypt all of their messages across platforms brings up a debate about safety where if no one is able to view the messages going on in this app, what if there are harmful things being said? What if there's a crime being committed? I don't remember exactly what trial or proceeding this was, but you know, a crime happened. There was evidence in Facebook Messenger and none of the lawyers could get Meta to unlock the person's messages because it was against safety protocol and it opened up just like a whole shitstorm of, you know, safety and encryption questions. On one side of things, are encrypted messages unsafe for the people sending the messages, receiving the messages, especially underage people? But on the other hand, of course, no one wants their messages to be read by the government or by other people, by hackers, whatever. It's like when my parents are like, send me your credit card info, but actually call me and whisper in the closet when you read out your credit card number. And I'm like, I can just text it to you. But you know, I guess is encryption safer or unsafe for people? And I think, again, theme, my theme of the podcast, these things are just developing and continuing to evolve over time. And, and kind of we'll see, I guess, where things wash out in the end. Yes, we will. That is interesting. It's an interesting angle from, from both sides of it, to be honest. But I'm curious, Kyla, from a business standpoint, you know, there's got to be an enemy when these platforms make sort of statements like this. Who do you think, what is Meta after here? Who are they after here? Honestly, I think they're after themselves. <laughs> and I know that sounds funny, but we've seen them get their wrist or hand slapped in the past for not protecting data, I think, as best as they could. And it could be an overcompensation. It could be the new wave. Who knows? But I think they're honestly covering their own tracks. Similar to Claire, like I'm not well adept in cybersecurity, but I know that we as a whole are kind of taking a new turn into data privacy and new rules. I think we reported on this a few weeks ago as it related to media companies and, you know, access to data that they had and, and who they can target in, in paid media. So we're seeing a shift in general, but something tells me that they're doing this for themselves, Joey. I'm not sure that they're wanting to beat anyone else out or make any other impressions. Well, we will keep a close eye on this and any other cybersecurity related issues that come up as they affect or intersect with these social platforms. We'll be sure to talk about it. All right, friends, that does it for us today. Quick program note, we are off next week. We will be back in your feed in two weeks with something new about the show that we are really excited about. If you don't already, be sure to follow us, share us, review us, like us, or write to us with your questions, comments, concerns, points of interest, or complaints, or just send us a thing you want us to discuss. You can do all of that by emailing us at podcast at gray.com. Of course, I want to thank Claire 
for joining us. Come back anytime. Let's make it a thing. And Kyla, thank you for all the things you've brought to this show. We will miss you. As always, thanks to Danielle Hunt and Amanda Fuentes and the crew over at Gramercy Park Studios behind the scenes. And finally, thank you, listener. We'll see you in two weeks. And in the meantime, be social. The Five Things are written and researched by the Social and Connections team at Gray New York. Produced by Joey Scarillo and Danielle Hunt. Mixed at Gramercy Park Studios by Guy Rosemarin and Amanda Fuentes. With post-production support from Ned Martin. Additional support by Christina Hyde and Liz McGovern. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com.